Amen. Praise God. How are we doing this morning? Amen. I've been uh, parked in the back, uh, making sure I'm very close to a restroom. So being full, candor and disclosure uh, to you all, let's pray real quick. Father, I thank you for your incredible grace. I thank you, Jesus, that you are on the throne and in control. Lord, I'm just amazed when I come to your house and see your people. When I, Lord, got to open up the scriptures and wonder and look at your words. When I encounter you, Lord God, in my life, moving and flowing in the conversations and relationships, I'm just awed at your ability. How wonderful you are. How boundless your ability is. I thank you, Lord, that we can come together today in a church service around your word and the truth that's parked in it. Holy Spirit, I acknowledge that you're here and that you're in this place. And I invite you, Lord God, to use me. That, Lord God, you would allow only the words that you want to come out to come out. And physically, Father, everything that needs to stay in will stay in, in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that you would utilize me in your skilled hands. Father, I also thank you that I know you've intentionally drawn people here. You've brought men and women here intentionally for a divine appointment. And Lord, I know that given a chance, there are people here today that are seeking to make their lives right with you. And that given that chance, nothing will stop them from coming to you, Jesus. Also, Father, I know that there are people here looking for a faith home. And Lord, given a chance, I know that nothing will impede them from saying, this is the place that God has aligned for me. And I will join the family of faith and move forward in what God wants for my life and my family as I grow in this place. Father, I thank you. I stand united knowing that we are a group of victorious men and women and that no thing and no one can stand in the way of seeing your plans fulfilled in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name. If you believe this, say amen and give God a mighty praise right now. I'm excited to be with you all as always and to share God's word. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to Genesis chapter 12 and just park yourself right there. This week, I was reminded that in my very own home, there is no perfect family. And if you uh, realize that you are not perfect and your family is not perfect, then hey, you're in the right place this morning. Do I have any people here who, who come from perfect families? I want to shake your hand. Oh, man, feels good. You know, our daycare was closed. It's work week at Little Lamb. Our kids go to the daycare here at the church. And, you know, absolutely blessed to, to have a daycare and, and a group of staff that love these kids and pour into them every single day. I am absolutely grateful for that. I know that's another parent who's grateful for that. And I was meeting a man uh, uh, here in the neighborhood just the other day, and I handed him one of those circle invite cards after I met him in his beautiful, beautiful black lab. Um, and just talking, he's like, hey, my kids went to, uh, to school at Little Lamb, and uh, now, th now they're all in college and, and graduated and living life. One of them just f finished, and just, he's like, thank you for, for uh, it was great to have them here. And I'm like, wow, it is great, but when that daycare is closed, man, it's not as great for parents. 
how you guys feel. I Obama, <laughs> you believe in that? Um, you know, managing and rearranging calendars and, and trying to figure out how do I, I got a list of things to do. I got so many projects in the works. There's so many things. It's, it's the fall semester kicking back up. School's coming back in session. So many activities as Pastor Eddie was uh, sharing on our church calendar, which by the way, go check out ciclive.org slash events and you'll see all the calendar events. You can register, you can sign up, you can see what other ministries we're partnered with and what things are happening. Make sure you do that. But I'm like, Lord, I need to get work done. I've got staff meeting and meetings with, with members and, and different things that are going on. And we're, we're launching some things and there's a lot to do and there's no daycare. And I found myself this week being challenged by my own flaws. Even though I've got these beautiful children, and I'm biased saying that, all right, y'all should have said amen. You do, Pastor Brian. But I've got these beautiful children who are, you know, God's great gift and inheritance from the Lord, and I found myself at multiple times just being so frustrated. It's like, can't y'all just behave? Can't y'all just kind of like, you know, stop being kids and and, and go beyond being kids and understand that I got things to do and that, you know, it's all about me and it's all about what I got to get done. And uh, you know what? I need you all to get in line. I need you all to behave and treat each other nice. And you know what? Uh, what do you mean, honey, you're going to just take one day off this week? You know, and all of that stuff was going through my mind. And I had a week where I became very selfish I didn't overtly talk about it, or I just, you know, let's suck it up, buttercup, and let's uh, move on and, and, and feed the kids and take care of things, and I'll, I'll do work at, you know, 12 o'clock and 1 o'clock and 2, 2 a.m., as some of y'all staff members got emails from me, because I needed to catch up. I want you to understand that before you is not a perfect man, Okay? And I know that before me are not perfect people. I have a flawed existence because I live in this world that has been marred by sin. And every home, there is potential for dysfunction and challenge. And so I want you to understand that, you know, when you come to serve and worship God here and connect with God's word, you've come to a place that is not a museum for saints, but it's a hospital for sinners. So you're in good company, okay, because I'm not perfect, all right? I know you're not. I've talked to some of y'all, okay? But here's the deal. I want to look today in Genesis chapter 12 because I know I'm not the first man in the first home, in the first family that has, fam has flaws and issues. But I can see in this story how faith can persevere even in the midst of flaws. And to that, I get great solace and strength. When I look to the word and I say, God, thank you for giving us not just the beautiful things in people's lives and the commendable things in their journeys, but Lord, thank you for including the mess-ups, the hang-ups, the issues, the trials, the failures, the fractures, the flaws, because that gives me hope that I can persevere. If you have found hope in the flaws of humanity contained in this book, give God a mighty praise today. Come on, give him a mighty praise. 
There are no perfect families. And today, let's just take a look here and focus on one person. Let's see what God will do with us in the course of this message. But uh, if you're there, Genesis chapter 12, and go with me starting in verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram, he's not yet called Abraham, went down to Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, also not yet Sarah, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. He's doing pretty good, guys. He gave her a nice compliment. He recognized something incredible in his wife. She was 65 and she was smoking. You are a woman beautiful in appearance. Verse 12, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. So, say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Wow. Wow. Father, just highlight some things in this passage for us, knowing that there is no perfect family. And here, Lord Jesus, we can definitely see imperfections in a home that should have been marked by an incredible faith and victory. In your precious name, amen. First thing I want to bring to your attention as we're looking at this story is that there are small errors that can lead to significant outcomes. This situation in this man's life is going to follow him. What happens in this home, the flaw and the fracture that begins to develop here is going to have ramifications. But let me, let me just paint this in a different way for you. Bring it like a little bit more contemporary. Small errors can lead to significant outcomes. On January 28th, 1986... The space shuttle Challenger disintegrated just about 73 seconds after liftoff. Disintegrated. It was a result that ended in tragic deaths of all seven of the crew members, including a teacher, Krista McAuliffe. This event, it was a disaster that was caused because of a small oversight related to the O-rings in the solid rocket boosters. Those O-rings, these parts, components of that space shuttle were meant to seal the joints of that rocket booster. It would prevent you know, the gases from escaping during launch. On the morning of the launch, the temperature was unusually cold, colder than all the previous other space shuttle launches. And engineers from the consulting company that was working on those boosters They were concerned about this, so much so that they had had a meeting before the launch. And they faced immense pressure from NASA and different things. But they they were speaking, I don't know about this, there's there's something going on. And and I don't know, uh, you know, we're not too confident in these O-rings and and, and it's a little cold and we don't know how it's going to perform under really cold weathers. And so they were, you know, expressing their, their issues. But because of the pressures, because of different circumstances, in a crucial meeting... NASA ultimately decided, you know what, we're going to go with the launch as scheduled. And that led to that faithful decision. And that decision, that small oversight, 
caused catastrophic consequences. Sometimes small errors lead to catastrophic tragedies. Death in this case. Maybe it won't result in death in every circumstance. But it might result in division, in contention, in struggle, in strain that wasn't necessary to be there. Those O-rings failed and the space shuttle blew up. Lives were lost. How many times have you heard people say, oh man, I wish if I could go back, I would correct this one mistake. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever felt that? If I could go back, I would not have said what I said. If I could go back, I would have chosen a different path. If I could go back to this day and time, I would not have picked this thing up. I would not have made this connection. I would not have gone in this direction. I would have not done blah, 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 fill in the gaps. Sarah experienced a dangerous result from choosing not to follow God's commands completely. And I did say Sarah, but I want you to understand Sarah is a byproduct and she is a family member within the family that a decision has been made. She is asked to go along with the plan. But the person who made the plan and made the decision and executed the plan was her husband. She's a bystander in this. She is a victim of this. Yet this serious mistake made by her husband has serious outcomes in their home and their family. When the news came of the impending you know, famine, that something was happening in the land of Canaan, Abram decided, hey, you know what? It's best for us to run. We got to tuck tail and get out of here. Well, if you read the beginning of Genesis chapter 12, you'll see that God had spoken to Abraham. He said, I want you to leave your home, your family, the land of your relatives and go to a place that I will show you, a land that is flowing with milk and honey. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you there and all nations shall be blessed by you um, because of you. And, And Abraham left and he went and he's following after God. And yet when he arrives in the land of Canaan, now there is a famine in this place. And Abram decides, uh, I need to leave the land that God has called me to go to. God had told him to leave one place, but God never told him, leave this place. Abram, in his own decision making, he says, you know what, there is a problem here. I need to leave this spot. And he, on his own accord, decides to go to Egypt. Let me go to the land that I hear is very fertile. Let me go to a land that I hear is very, very well off in this moment and in this season. He could have saved himself a lot of heartache. If you trace the story of Abraham, you're going to find that in this place, a lot of problems start to develop in his home and his family. It's from this place that you can originate a lot of issues. Small errors can cause major consequences, major outcomes, major issues. The story of Abraham is filled with references to God saying, God said, the Lord said, the Lord appeared. God told Abraham, yet it's not the case here. God did not tell him, go to Egypt. But he chose to do it on his own. Friends, he chose to go down to Egypt. 
A step without God's leadership is always a step down. You're not taking any steps up. I'm going to move on up. I'm going to do this. You know, I, I got I to gotta do this. I got to follow this. I have this plan. I have this, you know, uh, you know chart that's been, been, you know, strategically laid out for me. And, and this is what I want to do. Any decision apart from God's leadership and direction is a step down, not a step up. If you stop and look at this, you'll find it in the scriptures. Didn't Samson, Samson go down to Timnath? He went down to Timnath and there he found, not blessings, he found some major consequences. David, he did not look up while he was on his terrace. He looked down and he saw Bathsheba. Jonah, he did not go up to Tarsus. He went down to Tarsus. Follow the scriptures and you'll see that every step down is a step into another issue. When we leave God's direction and plan and desire, we are choosing to open ourselves up to potential issues. Small errors lead to major consequences. Seemingly, oh, it's innocent. There's food in Egypt. Well, God didn't, you know, intend to send me to this place so that I could start. Like, Lord, there was food for me back in Ur of the Chaldeans. Like, there was, there was a family there. There was community there. There was culture there. Things were okay there, Lord. I, I had this stuff. Kind of sounds like the Israelites later on. Lord, you, you've led us out of Egypt and into the, the, the wilderness. There, there used to be fish and onions back in Egypt. There, there used to be this, yeah, but also slavery. Yeah, but also some other issues. Yeah, but, but there's also some other outcomes that are going to come into your life because of this decision. A step that is going away from God's leading, even the slightest step away from his will, is a step down. So that begs the question, what is God's will? And that is where we need to press into God's word, to step into his word, to step into his promises, to step into his commandments, to ask of his character, to find out of his nature. And we start to understand who God is and what he has said and what he's proclaimed and that we may know the good and pleasing will of God. That we may not be stepping away from his will and going down. Abram and Sarah should never have agreed to go down to Egypt. Not only that, if you stop and look at this, he decides to go down, but you look a little bit further, you're going to see that downward spirals always increase in velocity. Watch this. Picture a tub. Some of y'all like to take baths. Some of you are shower people, right? Like I, you know, I take a shower, my kids take baths. And so this idea of a filled tub that is draining is very vivid in my mind, especially this week bath time and tubbies and toys and all sorts of things and I don't want to go and daddy no I'm not going to take a bath please don't wash my hair today to like now daddy no I don't want to leave I want to stay here I'm playing and then he's pruny and and all that good stuff right so picture a tub that is being drained once you disengage that stopper once you 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 take out you know the drain cover water immediately starts to to, to leave the tub it starts to drain out at first, you might just hear it. You hear the sound as it's going down the drain. But then pretty soon, you start to see the spiral forming, right? You ever see that spiral, you know, going? And, uh, you know, as I watch my kids, you know, get out of the tub and, and we go through this process, there's always toys in the tub. 
So, you know, at first I see that spiral, it just starts to form and then it's like a huge commotion because it's exciting for them to see it. And, and the toy, at first it goes wide. It just goes wide and slowly around that drain. But the more it goes around that drain, the faster it gets. And the closer to the drain it gets, the closer to the center it gets, to the point where it's just hovering above the drain and it's spinning at its highest velocity. It's just rotating. That rubber ducky is like... With each pass, it gets faster. Wrong decisions usually have the ability and the tendency to lead us to more wrong decisions. And not only that, it helps us to go and make those wrong decisions faster. One sin calls out to another sin. One issue calls out to another issue. Misery loves company, right? One thing draws on the other. And so in this situation, Abram is like, let me go down to Egypt. Well, that's not God's plan for my life. But yet, you know, this seems to be the right thing to do. And I need to go there. And I didn't consult the Lord, but I'm going to go down. And so he goes. And him going out of God's will then quickly results to something further. He decides to lie about his wife. Now, I've stepped out of direction. And now I'm lying and what else is he doing? His lie is also a form of deception. And, uh, you know, there could have been some intentions. There's some strategic things going on in his, in his thinking there besides preserving his life. But we'll leave that for another day. Genesis 12, 15. The Bible tells us that his lie led to Sarah, Sarai, being taken from him. She was taken into his palace, that is, Pharaoh's palace. And if you go down to verse 19, Pharaoh later admits, I took her to be my wife. What do y'all think that means? Whoa, I stepped out of the place that God's called me to be, and now, you know, my bad decision, the downward spiral, I, I took a step down, now I am going in increased velocity, getting further and further away from the Lord and closer and closer to the drain, and I'm doing it quickly. He goes to a place, he lies, and now his wife is out of his care, out of his sight, out of his home, and they are out of relationship. How long is she there? We're not told exactly, but you know, you'll see a little bit down in the, in the scripture. This man has made a decision, and now his wife has been taken. At the very least, if we're trying to be very modest here and, and conservative, Abraham's foolish decision sold her into slavery into Pharaoh's home. So she's going to now be his wife and be like a, you know, a person who is going to help in the kingdom. At the very least. But at worst, she could have been chosen to be one of his concubines within his harem. And Pharaoh will intend on sleeping with her and having relations with her and maybe having children with her. And so Abram is losing his wife. And oh, hello, by the way, when we go back to Genesis chapter 12, the beginning, uh, God promised to make him a great nation and that promise was contingent upon Sarai. It was with her that God would give Abraham children. The promise was to both him and her. It was to the family. It was to the union. It was to the marriage. It wasn't just to one man. It was to the man and the woman. And so, whoa, 
you have just jeopardized your promise. When I read this, I'm, I'm just thinking like, man, sometimes I'm prideful. Sometimes I make decisions and I think I have the most common sense and I'm making sense in my decisions. And uh, my wife will be quick to tell you I don't make always the best decisions. My staff can tell you I don't always make the best decisions, but it's all good. There are times that we don't make the best choices. How many times have you heard somebody say, you know what, Uh, I made a decision based on the best information that I had. And I've said that statement. I made made the decision based on the best info. I, I did the best with what I had. But I wonder, could Abraham claim that right here? I did the best with what I had. I don't see anywhere in the scriptures before he decides to go to Egypt that he stops, pitches his tent, builds an altar and say, Lord, is this the direction that I should go in? I don't see him at any point consulting God or asking for kindness or counsel or talking to his wife. Honey, what do you think? Should we pray about this? Honey, what's the deal? God has been faithful so far. He's brought us here. He's delivered us on the road. He's kept us safe all during this trip, getting down to the land of Canaan. Uh, Do you think that we should go? Should we consult him? Hey, Lot, what do you think? Because Lot's hanging out with him as well, his nephew. No. I did the best with what I had. Maybe you've said this at some point in your life. Maybe you're going to say this at one point. But the best has to involve having run things by God. It has to. Your best is not your best if you've left God out of the picture. Your best choice is not your best choice if you have not weighed every option according to his word. It's not your best choice if you are out of his will. It is not your best choice. Did the best information here for him include seeking and searching? I'd say no. God stands ready to hear our cries for help when we come to him. That's why the Bible tells us he's our ever-present help in time of need. He's our ever-present help in times of need. For some folks, they think, you know what? I'll cry and ask God for repentance or I'll cry and ask God for deliverance. But hey, let me just tell you, asking for deliverance after is not the best plan. Maybe the best plan is asking God for direction before you step in to the mud and the muck and the mire. I'd say it's better for us to avoid the pain and the sorrow than to say, Lord God, I know you can give me beauty for my ashes. But instead saying, Lord, can you just build beauty into my life without the ashes? That might be a better chance and a better plan. It will be one that has a lot less strife and challenge with you. So Abram, he makes some choices that are not the best. Small choices can lead to great outcomes. And, and when we step downward, we go in a spiral that just increases in velocity and has bigger issues. But look at this man here. Really, if you look at his situation, he says to her, verse 13, he says to his wife, so please tell them that you are my sister. Then they will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. This is a man who's living in selfishness. And let me tell you guys, if you choose selfishness, selfishness is its own reward. That's it. It's its own reward. Just just be content with the selfishness that you have endured and experienced and gotten your way in the moment because that is all that you will have. How many of y'all remember the name Lance Armstrong? 
Lance Armstrong was considered the greatest cyclist in the world. An inspirational figure. You know, incredible endorsements. He survived cancer. Whoa, awesome. And then he returned after surviving cancer to a very successful professional cycling career. However, his success was tainted. Why? Because this was a man that was selfish to get what he wanted at all costs that he decided to do some things that were unethical. He made some decisions that tainted his reputation. He started to dope and take substances to enhance his performance that were illegal. And he would vehemently deny it. He would, you know, till he was blue in the face, deny the charges and accusations against him. Well, after all the denials that he used performance-enhancing drugs, Legal battles after legal battles started to mount and the truth finally came out and this man who had denied, denied, denied finally admitted before an interview that it was all true. And what happened then, he was stripped of all seven of his titles, Tour de France. He was you know, removed of all of his endorsements and sponsorships. He lost money, he lost reputation and he was banned for life. He cannot cycle and compete professionally ever again because of what he did. All because he was selfish in himself to get ahead and advance and gain for himself. Sounds a little bit like Abram. For your sake, tell them that you're my sister. And he gained quite a bit in this time of his life. Selfishness comes naturally for us, doesn't it? It came naturally for me this week. I'm like frustrated, like, man, I gotta take all these days off and I got all these things to do and why don't my kids understand that I need to take care of things and, you know, hey, let me just tell you, I'll redeem myself a bit. Like, I did enjoy my time with them, right? So I did have moments. We went out, we did things, we, we built memories. So, you know, God gave me some, some grace in that period and I was able to take my mind off of the stuff and I know that the stuff will always be there, the work will always be there and there's things to be done, it will always be there. And so if I could not be with you this week, I apologize, it was just life, all right? But here's the deal. Abraham demonstrated world-class selfishness when he made a decision to pass Sarai off as his sister. This entire bizarre decision, it was all his fault, but it caused issues in his home. It created problems in his family and his marriage. Say you're my sister that I will be treated well. He was not thinking about his wife. He basically said, honey, you're the one that is the, you're beautiful. You are gorgeous. You are a gift to me. You are a blessing to me. Through you, there's going to be a blessing. We're going to be, you know, blessed and all nations will be blessed through us. He takes the blessing in his life and he just tosses her aside for his own need, for his own comfort, for his own security, for his own self-preservation. And he's not doing the work that he needs to do as a husband of protecting his wife looking out for her interest, being there for her in that moment. An innocent and faithful woman was thrust into the arms of another man, the powerful man in that land, because a husband was not motivated to do what he needed to do. He was motivated by his own tail. That's rough. 
And I can look at that and I can be like, yeah, Abraham, you, you, you dropped the ball, man. But how often do I drop the ball? How often do we drop the ball? How often do we, you know, uh, look in the mirror and we can say, man, I've done the same thing. How often have we taken, you know what, uh, let me take this promotion without even considering how it's going to impact your family. Or let me go and make this decision without even thinking that there's other people involved. Or you know what, I'll stay late at the office today, not even like realizing, well, uh, honey's at home with three kids trying to figure it all out, get dinner, get baths, do all this stuff. And, and I'm just over here because I get to get this done. Or, you know what, I, I want to uh, do this for myself and I'm going to post this or say this publicly because I want to, you know, edify myself or vindicate myself and then you just put out somebody's dirty laundry and now their reputation is at stake and you don't care about them. How often have we made decisions based on our own desire? We most often learn humility when we're humiliated. And if you choose the selfish way, if we take a page out of Abram's book, then let me tell you, we are also taking a sure thing that we're opening up ourselves to be humiliated. Pharaoh had to say something to him. And isn't it sad when the unrighteous call out the righteous for their unrighteousness? Yikes. When the world looks at you as a Christian and says, aren't you a Christian? (laughs) Shouldn't you not be behaving this way? Like, you know, me, I I don't even believe in this stuff about God, but you say you do, and yet you're doing this? Yikes. But here's, here's the silver lining here, guys. Sarai is part of a broken family. She's not perfect herself, and there's gonna be challenges in her home. Abram is not perfect, but let me tell you, when, when man fails you, God won't fail you. When her husband failed her, God did not fail her. That's why it tells us in 2 Timothy, or in Timothy that you know, when we were faithless, God remained faithful. God is a God that is always for us. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's for you. He is for you, always. That doesn't change. When men fail us, God sustains us. When Abraham failed his wife, God protected her. Look at verse 17. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. God stepped in when Abram failed. God says, I got to do something about this. Pharaoh calls Abram and he goes, what is this that you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Get out of here. This was by, you know, all standards, a remarkable intervention of God. Remarkable. Because what's going on here? Completely, completely Terrible things was in store for this marriage. This is a troubled home, a troubled marriage. And you know what? I don't know if they could have survived if the full plan of this situation had panned out in this home, in this marriage. I don't know. Thankfully, what we do know is if we look at other examples, you know, some people say, what happened to Sarah? What happened to her in Pharaoh's house? 
You know, this should just become the maidservant there and another concubine in, 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 that's taking care of the, you know, home and the palace and whatever. Or, or, or did the worst thing happen to her in this place? Some scholars believe that it did. That he actually ended up taking her because Pharaoh says, yeah, I, I took her for my wife. Some believe that she actually ended up in Pharaoh's bed. But if you consider Queen Esther and you look at the story of Queen Esther, we know that it takes a whole year. It took a whole year to get Esther once she was brought into the courts of the king to actually have her go before the king. A whole year to prepare her, to prepare her as a woman, to know the protocol and the etiquette, to get her clean, to get her nice, to, to, to have her be you know, versed in the culture and the etiquette. It took a whole thing to plan the wedding and, the, and all that stuff. You know, how many of y'all have ever planned a wedding? You don't do that in a day. You know, you can if you really have to, but more often than not, especially if your spouse has been dreaming of her fairy tale wedding forever, it ain't going to take a day and it ain't going to be cheap. <clears throat> but here's the deal. God steps in and I think before Pharaoh is ever able to lay with Sarai, God says, let me put a plague on this Pharaoh because the man of God failed. And so I'm stepping in because I don't. I've got to do something here where he has failed. The plagues that you'll see Moses go through in Egypt, man, those are, those are not the first plagues that ever came to Egypt. Here's the first one. Here's where God sends a plague and he catches the attention of Pharaoh because he doesn't want him to consummate the marriage. This is my thoughts, my belief, that he does not allow Pharaoh to do the worst thing that could have happened in this family. The worst outcome, the biggest issue that I know for a fact would have been a humongous schism and fracture in this home. Abram says, you're my sister. And the reason I believe that it didn't get to that terrible point, to that worst outcome, is because some people don't learn their lessons the first time. They go through this again. There's another situation when now they leave uh, Egypt and they go before a person by the name of King Abimelech and they say the same scenario. They're going to think that you're my sister. They're going to kill me. So you know what? Hey, you know, back in Egypt, you know how that we did that thing and we said that you're my sister and God like delivered us. You know what? Let's let's do that again. I cannot believe that Sarai would say, sure, honey, let's do that. Remember that time that I got, you know, assaulted and abused? Yeah, let's do that again. So I, I believe that there's no way that it got to that bad of a situation here with Sarai. God intervened before that plan. I believe that God protected Sarah. I believe that God intervened in the midst of a broken family, a broken man, a broken husband's failure. And he stepped in because God is faithful to his word. The Bible tells us that God watches to fulfill his word. He watches, his, the Bible tells us that his word will not fail. The Bible tells us that the earth and the heavens will pass away, but every word of God will come to fruition. 
God is faithful. And so when God gave a promise that he would build a great nation and he would fulfill a plan, that he had a covenant with this family, God is being faithful to that in this place and he intervenes. So my question to you this morning is, what is God saying to you in your home? Maybe you have a broken family. You have a broken scenario. Maybe your husband's making some bad calls. Maybe your wife is not making the best choices. Maybe your kids are completely out of whack right now and there's situations going on, but what has God said to you about your family? What has he given you as a promise about your inheritance? What has God called you to and said that he will sustain you through? What has God said? Can you persevere in it? Can you say, Lord, I need to let go of the issues where small things have come in and maybe there's issues. I know for a fact that this decision followed this family. The Bible tells us that Pharaoh says, get out. They leave with great wealth. They leave because in the midst of Abram saying that she was his sister, God tells us in the word that he, Pharaoh, sent gifts to Abram, the brother like fattening him up and preparing a dowry, preparing to to, to make way for what he's about to do, to bring him into his house and make him, uh, her, his wife. So he paid him gold and silver and camels and flocks and all sorts of things so that Abram could say, all right, fine, you can take my wife. You can have her hand in marriage. Pharaoh is doing all these different things. But yet God utilized all of these failures to fulfill his plan and to lead the people into the purposes that he intended. I know for a fact that as they left Egypt with money and gold, they also left Egypt with a servant girl by the name of Haggai. And Haggai later on is going to be a source of contention for Sarai. So a small decision will lead to a bigger consequence. She's going to have a child, and that child will be an issue to the promised child. And those two children will be at odds. And to this very day, there are conflicts between these two tribes and these two people that have descended and from that family tree. I can imagine... Abram looking at his wife and feeling like he has no place, he's lost her respect. I can imagine Sarai thinking at many times in her life and struggling with trust issues because here's a man that she should have trusted who decided to just say that, you know what, I'm his sister. He looked out for himself, he didn't look out for me. Is he going to do the same? Friends, sins have consequences. We can pick our sins, but we can't pick their consequences. We can pick the sins, but we can't pick the calamities that are going to come with them and the challenges that we're going to face because of them. And so my uh, warning to you is flee from sin. Just say, Lord, what is it that you're calling me to do and lead my life and, and follow in your direction and choose that as opposed to what God, you know, um, in suppose of what the enemy might be saying to your heart and what your flesh might be crying out to you, what your selfishness might be promoting to you in the moment. I know it wasn't easy for this family to pick up the pieces and move forward. But if you look at the end of this chapter, when Pharaoh had ordered his men to escort them, he sent Abram out of the country along with Sarai and the possessions. 
Here is a family that underwent a fracture and a challenge, but when they're leaving the problem, they left together. I think that was wholly and completely a decision made by this woman of God that had a choice to make in that moment because he had no right to ask her, honey, will you come with me at this moment? He failed. God did not. And yet God gave her a victory in that moment to say, this failure does not have to define you guys. I still have a plan and purpose for you. Go and leave this place. Remember the place I called you to. Go back there. Some of us, we might have made a failure, might have had an issue. I'll invite the worship team to come up. And I just invite you, can you think back to what God told you last? Can you go back to the place where he invited you to? Can you remember the promise and what he said he wanted to fulfill in your life? And can you go back to that place? Go back to that dream. Go back to that decision. Don't be wallowing in the fractures and the flaws of what your life has become and what is happening in your home. Press on. However flawed things are, let me tell you that God's plans remain faithful. What did God do for Sarah? What did he do for this woman? He restored a marriage. There's no doubt about it. He restored his plan. And he fulfilled the purpose. For Sarah, her faith in the promise of God is what sustained her. He said, we're going to be a great nation. We will have children. We have no children. He said, we're going to have children. Isn't that what he said, Abraham? Yeah. He said it to you multiple times. Yes, that's what he said. Then you know what? I'm coming with you. I'm holding on. I'm pressing through. I'm going to trust Thank God it didn't become as worse, as bad, as bleak as it could have been. You know what? Situations can all get, always get worse. Some of us look at our circumstances and we think, you know what? Things could not get any worse. Don't say that. Don't invite that. Because they could. It could always be worse. We don't know how good we have it until we see how worse it can get. And we see it in the lives of others. We see it in the circumstances that are so far beyond. And, and, and if you can take yourself out of your issue and out of your pain and put yourself in someone else's shoes and look at someone else's trauma, there is always someone that has a bigger problem. It's like that adage that goes, I used to complain about not having shoes till I met the man that had no feet. There's always someone who has it worse. It could have always been worse. But yet God restored and gave this woman faith because she was sustained in the promise. And what came of her faithfulness to God and to her husband. What came of her faithfulness? Jesus Christ came. Jesus Christ was born into the line descended from Abram and Sarah. Jesus Christ later came and never want you to underestimate what God may bring out of your faithfulness. I don't know what's happening in your family, but you know what? I've met many people that have gone through divorce and God has brought faithfulness in their lives because they have not chosen to give up and allow the pain in their lives to be redeemed. Or people who have gone through issues of infidelity and immorality or gone through issues of addiction and bondage or issues of you name it. And God has utilized that to become a testimony in their lives. Use the fractures 
If you give them to God, let him redeem and restore your story because he can do it in a way that no one else can. He can take your brokenness and give you a masterpiece. He can take the jagged notes and the odd, distorted sounds that's coming out of the music of your life and he can turn it into a symphony as he restores things. When I think of this story, I look at Abram, Pharaoh, Sarah, and I think, Lord God, I wish I could be the faithful one in this story, but I know I've made faults and failures. I, I've, I've committed problems, committed issues. I'm not always the right one, as I saw this week. I, I had wrong thoughts, and I got frustrated when I should have just been grateful. Sometimes we read the scriptures and we want to identify as the winning party and the virtuous person and the person with character and find ourselves there. Like when we read David's story, we want to identify as David going before Goliath. But oftentimes we're the army sitting back, cowered in fear and making the wrong choice instead of choosing to see God's faithfulness move forward. When I look at Jesus Christ and all that he's done and his faithfulness, you know, I stop and I think, who, who is Jesus in this story? And I see Jesus here as Sarah, a precious gift, a beautiful gift. Sarah was beautifully given to Abram to be his wife, a beautiful woman, someone that he was enamored by and grateful to have. Yet he takes this beautiful gift and he throws her away to somebody else because of his own selfishness. When I stop and think about Jesus, is that not what we do with him? This, he is the gift of all gifts. He is God in the flesh, Emmanuel, given to us. He is the gift that God gave as he so loved the world that we should not perish but have everlasting life through him. And what do we do with him? I don't know where you are in your faith journey here today. I believe many of you are in a secure place knowing that you have given your heart to Christ and trusted in him. But man, have you always followed after him? Have you chosen his plan over your own or have you taken a step down? Have you spiraled out of control? Have you chosen your own selfish ways instead of what he says, pick up your cross, follow me? The greatest gift of all, the most beautiful gift that God could ever have given. And we say, I'll do my own thing. I don't want you. I don't need you. But yet, what did Jesus do? Before we came to him, he loved us passionately. The Bible tells us, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he says, I'm making a new covenant with y'all. And it's going to be in my blood and in my body. So I want to invite you to stand with me. Because I want to remember what the greatest gift has done for us as we contemplate that we're not perfect people. And we should always approach this table knowing that we're not perfect. And we should always approach this table looking at our imperfections and our flaws and saying, Lord, forgive me. 
If there is anything that's coming to your heart and to your mind, this is the moment that we confess and say, Father, forgive me. Lord, forgive me for my brokenness and selfishness. Lord, forgive me for the pain that I've caused my family. Lord, forgive me for the turmoil that I've caused in my, my, my kids and the challenges that I've brought into the workplace or, or the challenges that and strife that maybe I have introduced into the church family because, Lord God, I have been selfish in my ways and edified myself. Or, Lord God, I have been looking to fulfill my own pleasures and I have grieved the heart of God. This is the place where we come together and we need to say, Lord, forgive me of my flaws. And remember, Father, your faithfulness. Let it be made evident in my life. That while I am faithless, Lord, I pray, be faithful to me. Help me to recognize your faithfulness in the midst of my faithlessness. Help me turn from my wickedness, Lord God, in my places of sorrow and brokenness and place me on the place where I can see, Lord Jesus, your plans be fulfilled in my life, in my home, in my family. Before we take communion, everyone just bow your heads, close your eyes. If you've been walking away from Jesus, don't let the church go through this act, this ordinance of communion that remembers what Jesus did. If you have not yet entered into a relationship with him or you've walked away from him and you need to come back to him, then, then today fix that. Because you should be running to this table, not running away from it. If you've lived life on your own accord, in your own terms, and you've walked away from Christ, or if you've never come into a relationship with him because you've only done it on your own, change that today. It starts with a simple decision. It's just a decision to say, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I need you. We believe that when you come to partake of this table, you are a person that has placed faith in Jesus to be your savior and also your Lord, to lead you, to be your coach in life, to help you through and sustain you, to redeem you from your faults and your fractures, to cleanse you of your sins. So we don't come to this table without first coming to Jesus. If that's you today, just pray this prayer. Say, Father, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of all my faults. I need you. You are the way to salvation. You are the truth and the life. Help me to live for you and acknowledge you all my days. Thank you that you have a plan for me in this life and in heaven. I receive you today and I follow you from this day forth. Amen.